It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports rush, rush with Brett Rump. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Listen to Older than wise. Yeah, well, you're half right. What is this amateur hour? This is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. The Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump, Adam Lundy, and of course you, connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862-46862. Big hour on the way with this abbreviated edition of the Sports Rush. Of course, we've got our 15 minutes with fish being presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. And man, like we were talking earlier, what a weekend of NFL football. Uh, I saw Justin Kenny from Cadleman Kenny in the morning. He tweeted, we're seeing this weekend why NFL is king. There were some terrific games, some big-time plays. Uh, everybody speculating on coaching and coaching moves. But it was uh, quite a weekend and nothing probably more dramatic than what Jacksonville did with the huge comeback down 27 to nothing with Trevor Lawrence throwing four picks. I, I, I kind of had an idea. The Trevor Lawrence wasn't going to throw another interception because I'm like, you know, guys just don't throw five or six. I mean, it was it was a little bit of a freak thing that he threw four because I think a couple of them were deflected. And um, so I don't think it was all his fault, but it's still four interceptions in the first half leading to the 27 to nothing Chargers lead. And, you know, you got a Jacksonville team that hasn't been there. They haven't done that. And to have the confidence to be able to come back, a lot of credit has to go to head coach Doug Peterson and, uh, and of course, Trevor Lawrence, who's a pretty confident guy considering his history so far. It's been kind of up and down, but he's on a real high right now. And, uh, boy, that team's playing well. And uh, I kind of joked, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but I joked this on Twitter last night, that if you go through every division in, in the NFL and look at their one-loss record so far in the playoffs, you've got a couple of divisions that are one-and-one one because they played each other, AFC East and the uh, NFC what was it? The NFC North? Wait, North? No. Who was it? The, the oh NFC West because you had uh, San Francisco and Seattle. So those divisions are one and one. Then you had the Chargers, of course, lose. But if you looked at the records, there's only one team or one division that is one and zero. Oh. oh, the AFC North uh, with the Bengals and the Ravens. They played each other as well. So three divisions played each other. So they all end up with like six teams that are one and one in the playoffs. You've got the Chargers 0-1, and the only division that is undefeated through the playoffs so far heading into Monday night's game, the mighty AFC South. Hang a banner at Lucas Oil Stadium, or, yeah, Lucas Oil Stadium for that one. Um, <laughs> part of the mighty AFC South, undefeated in the super wild card round of the 2022 playoffs. This is still considered the 2022 playoffs, even though the entire playoffs is 2023, right? 
because it's the season. Yeah, it's the 22-23 season. So. Uh, boy, it's confusing sometimes. <laughs> uh, 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Uh, we've got a big one coming up tonight. Mastodons taking on Cleveland State. Last time Cleveland State was in town, it was a late night. Yeah. So for those of you that maybe have an early bedtime, this might not be the game for you, but you can still listen. But uh, we would love to see as many as possible attend this game tonight because it is the Cleveland State Vikings who are sitting right in the middle of the pack of the uh, Horizon League standings. Mastodons can tie them with a win and move up to second place. So it's an important game as you're approaching the halfway point of the 20-game Horizon League schedule. Mastodons are 4-3, and three, Cleveland State coming in at 5-2. and two. Uh, But one of the big games over the weekend was that Milwaukee got beat. That handed them their second loss. So there's yeah. like three teams with two losses. Then, you know, three losses, you're only a game back in the loss column if the Mastodons can win tonight. And they've got the two tough head-to-head games coming up later in the week when they go down to Dayton and the Cincinnati suburbs because they'll play Wright State on Thursday night and Northern Kentucky on Saturday. And at that point, the Mastodons will either be mid-pack, lower mid-pack, or chasing first place. That's that's how big these two games are coming up later in the week. And, of course, three games if you count the one tonight, which is also very important. 46862. So, uh, you know the drama where I was trying to get a ticket to go see John Conchar? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Were you able to find one? Never found one, but it might have worked out for the best. That's what I heard, yeah. John Conchar ended up sick on Friday, came down with an illness, and uh, was unable to get on the plane to make it to Indianapolis. He was basically told to get yourself better and stay behind and don't infect anybody else. And so he did not make the trip to Indy, which is kind of a bummer because it's the one trip that Conchar has to the Indiana state Mm -hmm. and he couldn't make it because he was sick. And so uh, Conchar ruled out for Saturday night, obviously, since he was in Memphis But my goodness, Ja Morant might have had two of the best plays that you will see the entire year in the NBA, one on the offensive end, one on the defensive end. This guy is a freak of nature. He took it on a drive with a crossover. He split defenders, took it to the basket, and posterized O'Shea Brissett at the rim. Yeah. I think it was Brissett, wasn't it? I thought it was Jalen Smith, but don't quote Oh, it might have been Jalen Smith. Don't quote me He on might it. have actually busted the dribble on the outside and split uh, defenders, and O'Shea Brissett might have been one of the defenders, but I do think it might have been Jalen Smith. Whoever it was will be part of a poster from now through eternity because Job Morant went up in the air, and just when it looked like he had reached his apex – it's like he got a second lift. You know, you ever know? I mean, it's like he went up and then he went up even further and uh, hung in the air, wound it up, threw it down with this mighty right handed tomahawk dunk. Uh, unbelievable play against the Pacers. Of course, Pacers got routed by the Grizzlies. But the other huge play was that Jock came out of nowhere and went up and blocked a layup 
where he actually blocked it just before it got to the backboard, and it was above the square. I mean, we're talking the top line of the square that's painted onto the backboard. He was higher than that, which puts his head basically about rim level. And this guy's what, 6'2"? Unbelievable athleticism. He uh, he clearly is... is uh, one of the most dynamic, if not most dynamic, players in the league right now. Yep, and it was uh, Jalen Smith that ended up on that okay. poster. Yep. All right, so it was Jalen Smith. I was going to put O'Shea Brissett on the poster, but no, no. Smith, Smith got it. <laughs> uh, what what a performance by Ja Morant. Uh, but anyway, Pacers uh, playing today. They're taking on the Bucks. You've got the. Uh, um, of course, the Boilermakers with their game against Michigan State earlier. Uh, we've got to talk to Don Fisher, in fact. We've got uh, Fish standing by. So we'll go ahead. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we've got our 15 minutes with Fish. And, of course, presented, as always, by Cruzy Automotive Service. We'll come back right after this break on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. You're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Well, Don, this was a crazy week for Indiana basketball. Of course, the two games probably couldn't have been more opposite of one another. A lot of the frustrations continued in the road loss at Penn State. Some of the things that have been brought up by the fan base and brought up on social media about the defense. And everybody expected this to be a good defensive team. And... Well, it it hasn't been over over really since uh, I think the trip to Arizona. We could question this defense, but against Penn State, I think the thing that for me was most frustrating in watching Indiana play is: did they not have a scout? Did they not study personnel? Because they gave up these big three to- three point looks to guys that make a career out of shooting three pointers. You you've got to contest some of those shots. Indiana didn't do it. Ended up getting blown out. Well, the interesting thing, if you listen to our pregame show before the Penn State game and listen to what Mike Woodson talked about as being an emphasis going into the contest, it was stopping or at least guarding the three-point line. (laughs) That was the primary emphasis going in. But it looked like uh, Indiana did exactly the opposite of that Mm -hmm. because they gave up 18 three-pointers in the contest, two players... Uh, Seth Lundy and Andrew Funk each hit uh, seven three-pointers among, I mean, (laughs) each hit seven three-pointers, not combined. We're talking about seven apiece. Seven for 12. Right. 14 three-pointers from two different guys, and they added another uh, (laughs) four three-pointers from other people, uh, which looked like Indiana didn't guard the line at all. Um, and that's exactly what happened in this ball game. Indiana started out okay. It was a pretty good ball game for about the first seven to ten minutes. But after that, once Seth Lundy knocked down his first three, there was a, a belief from Penn State that they could find the three-point shot, and they continued to find it for the rest of the ball game. And that, to me, is all about defensive toughness, believing that defense is the most important thing you've got to do when you're on the floor because defense travels, especially when you're on the road playing in 
as not as familiar of confines as you're going to do at home, uh, you've got to be able to play defense because that's going to be a key to whether you can stay in the ball game or not. And obviously, once they started knocking down threes, it was raining three pointers, and Indiana was not in the ball game after that. How much uh, did Indiana get exposed with the absences of Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson in that game? Well, there's no question that those two guys are both uh, really good defensive players. And um, honestly, you, you would say, well, yeah, but they've been out now for a while. Yep, they have. But the fact of the matter is, I think it's taken something out of Indiana psychologically. Um, there, there's a toughness factor that X brings to the table, races that journeyman-type guy, the blue collar, does all the dirty work, that kind of thing. Um, and I think it really affected this ball club after the Iowa loss uh, with race going out at that particular time because that game changed, too, when he went out with about four and a half minutes to go in the first half. Indiana was pretty much dominating Iowa at that point, and they let that lead slip away down to 10 at the break. And then from that point on, Iowa just... Kind of, I don't want to say that they just took the game out of Indiana's hands because it was a game right down to the end, and Indiana actually got a six-point lead late in that contest. But there, there's something missing right now with this ball club, or at least it was up until we saw them play Wisconsin, and certainly it played out in that Penn State game as, as well. Well, and let's talk about Wisconsin, because all of a sudden you've got a team that uh, locks down defensively, takes a lot away from Wisconsin. I know the Badgers played shorthanded because Wall is a pretty important part of what they right. do uh, on the interior, but... But still, the intensity was there, the closeouts, the hand in the face. Um, they made things difficult on Wisconsin. What was the difference that you witnessed? Well, there's no question that they played differently. And they played with more intensity, more toughness, all those kinds of things that we've talked about. They've done that before this year. I mean, the, the Xavier game was another one where it was a, it was a hard-fought game, and Indiana got down early but came right back. Uh, never let the game get out of hand, and battled all the way. That's what this team has not done consistently thus far. And you take a look at their losses. Uh, each one of those losses has get me, been a game where they either got started poorly or didn't maintain the toughness factor or that intensity level that you have to have to win ball games, And it shouldn't be that way because this is not the youngest basketball team in the country by any stretch. Huchifino and Malik Renew are the two guys that play the most off the bench. Uh, without question, they're both talented kids. Renew has not played his best basketball, even though he's kind of bounced back here in the last two or three games and played a little bit better. But at the same time, the rest of these guys are veterans. And, and there's no reason why they, uh, there's no understanding in my mind why they do not understand how hard they've got to play each and every time they walk out on the floor. So the only thing I can come up with is that the coaching staff or head coach Mike Woodson said something to these guys going into this ball game about uh, where they were at, what they needed to do, and it better get better or else. <laughs> and I don't know what he said. But obviously, whatever that was said, it, it turned things around against Wisconsin. And beating Wisconsin, wherever you beat them, if it's home or away, it's a big win for Indiana because Wisconsin's had their number 
for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's that been one of those monkeys on the back type of thing uh, against the Badgers. All right, so this week, not exactly an easy week going on the road to take on an Illinois team that all of a sudden kind of has found a spark of late. And then the always tough Michigan State Spartans who had that little bit of a up-and-down start, but they seem to be playing some pretty good basketball. Uh, can Indiana be consistent? Can they take this show that we've seen at home on periodic occasions? Can they take it on the road with Illinois coming up on Thursday night? Well, you hope so, because if they don't, it's it's going to be a really long season. You just you've got to be able to find a way to win games that you're you know that you're not the favorite in, uh, especially if you're going to challenge for a Big Ten title, which is what all kinds of prognosticators were saying at the beginning of the year that Indiana would be the favorite to win the Big Ten championship. Well, uh, that favoritism has gone down dramatically uh, since they've gotten off to a now a two and three start, uh, two and four start. My apology uh, uh, against the competition that they faced thus far. And they haven't even played the best teams in this league yet. Obviously, Purdue, obviously Ohio State, teams like that, and Michigan State's coming up on Sunday. So uh, they've got a very difficult schedule. Illinois played really well early in the season and had some big wins um, uh, to start the campaign. And then they all of a sudden fell apart against Maryland. And they've had problems ever since. But they've won three in a row now, beating Wisconsin, the same team Indiana just beat, at Nebraska, and they beat Michigan State the last time out. So (laughs) the Illini have found something. There's no doubt about that. And it's a ball club that you cannot take lightly in any way, shape, or form. Um, They are different than a year ago. They got transfer portal guys, two from Baylor and one from Texas Tech that start. So it's a ball club that uh, is kind of new and kind of trying to find itself, and it looks like perhaps they have done so. And if that's the case, Indiana will have their hands full. But Indiana can still go into Champaign, and they can play hard, and they can play with intensity and play hard at the defensive end. Defense travels, we know that. And the key will be, uh, can they knock down enough shots if they play that hard? You mentioned the lofty expectations for the Indiana Hoosiers this year and that many were projecting them to be the favorite in the Big Ten. And I don't think that's terribly unfair, and I don't think it's unknowledgeable by the people that expected that when you look at best player in the league returning and Trace Jackson Davis. They have the a big core of players with a lot of experience coming back. And then they had a great recruiting class. I mean, those were pretty fair expectations, weren't they? Uh, I, I say I say that I, I would agree with that for uh, Brett, but I, here's my problem with it. Indiana, I, and I said this to you, I think in our first couple of shows of the year, hadn't finished higher than ninth place in the Big Ten in the last six years. Mm-hmm. So expecting them to win a Big Ten championship uh, with that kind of mindset, because they haven't experienced that, they have not been a part of winning a Big Ten or even been in the hunt for a Big Ten title in six seasons in a row leading up to this one. And again, you're talking about guys that have never finished higher than ninth place in the Big Ten. So um, to, to expect to win a Big Ten title and making that kind of a jump in one season, uh, hard to do. And, of course, with a new coach and Mike Woodson, you expect them to be better the second year than they were the first but at the same time, to win a Big Ten title, to me, I would have looked at it from this perspective. Yes, they have for the tools to be good enough to win a Big Ten championship if they 
uh, play up to expectations, but that's the first rule that you've got to take care of, and that's playing up to expectations. Big uh, coup for Tom Allen and Indiana football over the weekend. This kind of came out of nowhere rather quickly, but you got QB1 now on the roster, and he's kind of a familiar name. Yeah, uh, Tavon Jackson is his name, and if it sounds familiar, it's because his brother is Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his brother Any is. Any more Trace brothers Jackson that Davis. could help, maybe with baseball or something out down there? <laughs> well, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, obviously uh, a very talented player. His dad was uh, Dale Davis, um, and. Tavon Jackson's dad is <laughs> a former Indianapolis Colt by the name of Jackson. And uh, there's no doubt there's talent there. And he's 6'3", a very talented quarterback in the sense of uh, what he did in high school at Center Grove, helped them to a couple of state championships. Um, and there's no doubt he's a talented kid. Uh, but he's going to be a freshman. And uh, he, as you know, freshmen are freshmen. And we'll see how he plays out. But he's probably the well, probably the biggest name recruit that Indiana will have in their recruiting class coming up, simply because of who he is and where he played football. And obviously, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. But again, he's going to be a freshman and playing football in the Big Ten. That's a, that's a challenge to say the least. Absolutely, always appreciate you, uh, Don. Appreciate you taking time out on the holiday here, the Martin Luther King holiday, yep. and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Brett, Brett, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, that is Don Fisher joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline, and of course, Don Fisher appears our 15 minutes with Fish, courtesy of Cruzy Automotive Service. Be sure you get that 1990 oil change. Ask for it by name. Tell them you heard it here on the Sports Rush. That's Cruzy Automotive Service, Lima Road, North Wall and South of Till, right behind the Shell Gas Station. Plenty more still to come. Got Mastodon's basketball tonight. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. Uh, coming up tonight, we've got Mastodon's basketball against Cleveland State out at the Coliseum. We'll start with the pregame show at 6.45, tip at 7, right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. It is our pleasure to welcome back to the program, and it's been a little while. Uh, you know, we kind of had to see how this whole new job thing kind of sorted itself out, and how much time he would be able to give to the Colts. Stephen Holder, who we have had on the show numerous times, now an NFL reporter covering the entire league for ESPN and uh, Stephen, welcome back. Good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. And you know, it's kind of I don't know if ironic is the right word, uh, a, a coincidence, but it's kind of interesting that you go to the national NFL beat and then all the stuff uh, breaks out here in Indianapolis as far as different storylines and the drama with the coaching changes and the quarterback situation and Jim Irsay's involvement. It has been rather chaotic over the last few months. After the season ends, things kind of settle. So where is it right now? Chris Ballard, he's safe. He's finding a coach. Do we proceed with that, I guess, premise? Yeah, I think so. And to, to answer your, your first question first uh about my role it's funny like i i always intended i mean it was always the intent that i would cover a lot of the colts right that was i mean i'm based in indianapolis right mm -hmm. so that was always the understanding 
but the the hope was that I would have a lot more time to to, to do some <laughs> or pursue some matters beyond Indianapolis, and that didn't happen <laughs> because there was just too much going on. So anyway, the best laid plans, right? Uh, as far as Chris Ballard, I do I do think what you saw and heard from him last week about you know his intention to be here moving forward and and his understanding that he uh, will be retained. I think you can. You can take that, I, I think, pretty, uh, pretty firmly, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. I, I, and I think the way this coaching search is playing out kind of reinforces that. And what I mean by that is we'll see who makes the ultimate decision and what that decision is, right? But for now, this is very clearly a Chris Ballard process. Uh, they have, I, I believe, at this point in terms of, interview request at least, we're up to 10 candidates now, hmm. plus Jeff Saturday. So I guess 11 candidates, really. Um, so they, they have, we, we learned about three additional uh, interview requests made today. So that's a pretty big uh, net that they are, are casting here, a pretty wide net they're casting. And I think that tells me that that's a process that is very, very much being driven by Chris Ballard because that's the kind of guy he is. Even though in his initial coaching search when he took the job, um, a year after he took the job, I guess, in 2018, that coaching search, even though it ended up being that they were stuck on on Josh McDaniels pretty early in the process, they did uh, interview quite a few candidates. And they were, I think, a, a cross-section of candidates, which is something we're seeing here, too. We're seeing offensive, de- offensive coaches, defensive coaches. Um, we're seeing Bubba Ventrone, their special teams coordinator. So, I mean, they've got really uh, the whole gamut, and, and I think that speaks to Chris Ballard, who's a very thorough guy. You know, uh, Stephen, kind of had thoughts during the season, and there was some evidence that maybe Jim Ursay was behind a lot of the major decisions yeah. over the past year. I think that is a consensus opinion. But Chris Ballard stepped up at the end of season press conference and kind of tried to say, "This is this is my job. I'm responsible for it. I'm accountable." I found it really interesting what Jim Ursay then put out in the letter. Because it was almost the words of Chris Ballard being put out by the owner that it's my responsibility, I'm accountable. Uh, what did you think of Jim Irsay putting that letter out to fans? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised that he did it, or at least that there was some correspondence to fans. But I think the, the language that you are talking about in particular, I do not think that was accidental. So Jim Irsay is is a very... Um, a very powerful man, a very rich man, and he could very easily just ignore what anybody says about him or or feels about him, right? Uh, it wouldn't change either of those facts, right? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that he does care a lot. He, he does care what people think about him, and he does care what people say about him, quite a bit, in fact. And, and I know this because I've gotten... Uh, responses from him about things that I said or wrote. <laughs> so, so I know this firsthand, and and not in a not in a critical way necessarily. I, I think I mean in in terms of him responding to them. So I think it's it's an acknowledgement, honestly. It's it's at least a small acknowledgement that there's a there's a sentiment out there that he has to do better and or or differently or whatever your your viewpoint might be. I think it's an acknowledgement of that. 
And and it's also an acknowledgement, perhaps, maybe, possibly, that he didn't make all the right decisions in those instances where he got involved. So so we'll see. I, I do think it's it's not a negative. It certainly says that he's self-aware, and, and that's always a good thing by the person who's in charge. So we'll see what happens in the end, though. Didn't it undermine Chris Ballard a little bit to have an owner come out and say that? I mean, it was like the third or fourth paragraph, but I thought maybe it undermined uh, the authority or the responsibility of Chris Ballard. Well, I mean, I think on the other hand, I mean, Chris Ballard was very clear in his press conference, for example, that, you know, so look, Mr. Ursay's in charge. I work for him, and, and ultimately he's going to make the decision on the coaching search. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I think he he kind of acknowledged that, look, he will always be in charge. And, and that has always been the case. I mean, look, Bill Polian ran this team for a long time and and had wide latitude, okay, probably too much at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, and, frankly, that led to some of the falling out with uh, Jim Mercy and, and Bill Polian. But be that as it may, um, I, I do think that there will always be instances where Jim Mercy um, grabs the wheel. I mean, go back to the Andrew Luck decision, for example. Uh, I don't think it was much of a decision, but but certainly there was the RG3 conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, Ryan Grigson was the general manager. Jim Mercer made that pick. I mean, <laughs> let's be clear. The number one overall pick, you have the number one overall pick, the owner is going to be involved, right? I mean, so... So that's an example of, of him, of his history of, of being involved in really high-level decisions. Now, what he has not done in the past is, A, fired a coach in the middle of the season, and, and B, certainly has never, to my knowledge, uh, been involved in, in you know, personally handpicking uh, the successor as the interim coach or, or maybe overriding <laughs> The advice of his his lieutenants, as he did in this case, you could tell. Now, you could tell, Stephen, at that press conference, Chris Ballard yeah. was not on board with Jeff Saturday 100%. taking over. Yeah, and, and I thought to to Chris Ballard's credit, we asked him very directly last week in his press conference. You know, where were you at on that decision? And he didn't lie to his credit, <laughs> to his great credit. He said, he said, look, I I, I said to Jim Mercy that I thought it was. The, the wrong decision because we're putting him in a bad position. And and that may be true. It may not have been his his opinion may not have been are you crazy? This guy is gonna be terrible. It may it may truly have been, hey, you know what, this is not fair to Jeff Saturday. But either whatever it was, he clearly was was honest about it, the fact that he voiced opposition to Jim Mercer's decision. He said that publicly and I thought that was as I said to his credit um, and I thought it was very revealing, you know, that he was willing to to be open about that because I thought he he certainly his body language certainly told us that before, right? But this was the first time he actually said it. Um, I, I think in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Chris Ballard also said that they had kind of set up a profile of what they were looking for in the next coach, and so it's kind of like okay, you check the boxes as you talk to these guys, but what are those boxes? What I mean is it. Obviously, they're not looking for someone that has to have prior head coaching experience. Um, is it an offensive coach, defensive coach? Have you figured out what that profile actually is? You know, it, it's an interesting question because it's not that clear when you look at their list. Uh, these coaches, many of them have 
very different profiles and different strengths, different backgrounds in terms of, you know, their, their coaching history. So there's not like a common thread between just about any of them, you know, and I think that's probably a good thing. I actually am okay with that. I think it's a little hard to pin down what they're looking for. I mean, they know, I hope they know because you, you should have a, a criteria, right? But, but if you're trying from the outside looking in, if you're trying, you know, to maybe ascertain what that, you know, criteria looks like, it's pretty hard to do because of the list they have compiled and the fact that there's a lot of diversity on there, diversity in terms of the types of coaches, you know. So it's interesting. I don't know. I really don't. But I actually am fine with it. I like that they are are not pigeonholing themselves uh, to, to one type of coach, offense or defense or young or old. You know, I think that's good because a lot of times, you know, what I've heard in the past is, a lot of times, you know, going into these processes, sometimes the criteria is too specific with coaching searches. And when you do that, you know, you, you kind of tailor your list to what you're looking for, but you may exclude some really strong candidates because you were maybe not open-minded enough about what you, you know, were maybe looking for. So I don't know. I guess there are different ways to go about it, and, and there's no right or wrong way, but I do think, I, I do think what they are doing, the Colts currently, I do think it has the potential to be productive. We know there's about four teams that have sought permission to talk to Sean Payton, and he's going to start interviews. What about Payton? Is, is there any interest on the Colts side, at least, for Sean Payton? That's harder to say. I would, I would say this. It does not appear there's interest on Payton's side. You know, I saw him on... Uh, he, he did an interview today, in fact, that, that I thought was very revealing, um, I believe, on Fox Sports. And and one of the things that he one of the things that he said in there was that he's he's going to interview with Houston, for example. And I think that was already established. But he talked about it and was was asked about interviewing with the Texans. And you know, you might think that wouldn't interest him. And he was like, "Well, you know, wait a minute now." He's like, "They have a lot of draft capital." Mm-hmm. And and I actually have some relationships in that organization, and he was he sounded pretty open minded about it. Now, of course, the, the the devil's advocate is that of course he wants to be wanted by everybody, right, to give him leverage. But uh, but I, it was interesting, and 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 he talked about all the teams that, with openings, and the one team I never heard mentioned was the Colts. Yeah. And so uh, the other thing I would mention is that it's believed very strongly, and I. I believe this too, based on my reporting, uh, that back in, I believe, 2016, in that cycle, the Colts did talk to Sean Payton at least briefly. Now, his contract was up in New Orleans at the time. Chuck Pagano's contract in Indianapolis was also up at the time. And they did not come to an agreement. Payton goes back to the Saints. Or that, that probably was what did it, frankly. Uh, so, so they work out a deal. He goes back to New Orleans, and that is the day, you might recall, uh, we had a, a late-night press conference with Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano after they reached a, a deal to have both of them be extended, mm. which was not uh, necessarily anticipated. The point here is uh, they've been down this road before a little bit, the Colts, with Sean Payton, and whatever happened there, whether – whether it was a decision by the Colts or a decision by Sean Payton, maybe they just 
decided not to revisit that. That's speculation on my part, but I, I just think it's notable that they had some conversation then, um, and apparently no conversation this time around when he's also available. We know the jobs that are open. What about a job that could possibly open up? And I'm talking about the Los Angeles Chargers. There's been talk about Brandon Staley. Yes, he has two years of a winning record, but I tell you, it just seems like he mismanages games. Last year, the re- the reliance on the analytics, it was clear he's not got the respect of the players with Bosa's reaction when he handed him the helmet. Um, I know that the Chargers are going to have an executive meeting at some point this afternoon. And, of course, they're on West Coast time. Is there any chance that job opens up? Um, I mean, certainly there's a chance, yeah. I mean, that was a rumor on the street, if you will, uh, in the NFL last week. The, the the rumor last week was that that whole staff was gone. <laughs> now, of course, they, you know, things changed in the last couple of weeks of the season. They kind of they kind of got hot and, and made the playoffs. But uh, but I thought that that loss almost supersedes, you know, the, the fact that they did make the postseason. Just the, the way they lost, it almost it almost negates the fact that they. They had a strong ending to the season and, and got to the playoffs. You know, I, I mean, I can't speak for their ownership, but I, I would say that there seems to be a lot of frustration uh, from that organization, be it the players, the fans. I, I mean, there has to be. There just has to be. At the same time, the counter argument is, as you said, he's had two winning records. Um, I, I saw my friend Jim Trotter from NFL Network, who yeah. who has been in the San Diego market for many many years and, and was a beat writer. Uh, on the Chargers for many years and knows that organization well. He is actually uh, sort of presenting the the opinion that they may not make a coaching change and that he does not anticipate that that their ownership is going to, to overreact here. Uh, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them uh, to consider making a move. Uh, there really is. I mean, that is a group, that is a really strong roster, a really strong roster, I think. And so, you know, is is making the playoffs once in their first two years underachieving? I think maybe, you know, when you have a potentially generational quarterback. I know we're about out of time here, Stephen. I just want to ask one quick question. It can be almost a yes or no answer. The decision by C.J. Stroud to enter the NFL draft. I don't know if he was just teasing or playing with Ohio State fans, mm-hmm. but he is going to be in the draft. I think there's three that are considered to be top-level quarterbacks does that change the Colts' position as far as what they do at number four? Uh, or should they still be aggressive and try to get that number one slot and don't let anybody be taken away from you? Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, he is C.J. Stroud being in the draft, I think potentially gives them even more incentive to want to trade up because I think he's, I think he's the fit. I think he's the guy that fits what they want to do, and he's the guy – who I think appeals to Chris Ballard with his Big Ten ties. So that's my two cents. All right, appreciate you, uh, Stephen. It was great to talk to you. I hope we get a chance to visit again soon. I'm sure it's gonna. there's going to be a lot coming out of Indianapolis over the next couple of months. Yep, looking forward to it. All right, thanks. That is Stephen Holder joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline from ESPN. He is an NFL reporter. And uh, for those that don't know the history He was following the Colts beat for The Athletic and then had this opportunity with ESPN to kind of broaden his scope and cover not only the Colts as his primary, but also cover the league as a secondary. 
And that ended up his primary was basically his full time job, just trying to keep up with everything was happening in Indianapolis. But Stephen Holder, it was uh, a pleasure to have him on the show. It's been a while since we've had an opportunity to have him on the show and visit as a guest. We've got to take a break. We're going to come back. Plenty more on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Back final time here on the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Big show today. Man, we had a lot to cover because it was a weekend loaded with football, basketball. We had it all, and we had some drama. Jacksonville's big comeback against the Los Angeles Chargers. You also had uh, the Hoosiers come out and actually play defense. Of course, uh, the Boilermakers. Earlier today, you heard what happened with the Boilermakers and Michigan State. Uh, But we've got to thank all of our guests that appeared on the show. Stephen Holder, always terrific. Haven't talked to him in a while. Really glad that we were able to connect. I think the last time we tried... Back in December, things were just too chaotic. Couldn't connect with Stephen Holder. Couldn't work out the exact time and date uh, because of press conferences and everything. And so it's always great to have Stephen Holder join us, NFL reporter for ESPN. Also, big thanks to Don Fisher once again joining us for our 15 Minutes with Fish, presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. I got to bust out, get out to the Coliseum. Time for some Mastodons basketball. Hope you join us either in person or right here on the radio for the Mastodons in Cleveland State. Pre-game starts at 645. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 to 6. Got some Tuesday time capsule trivia and more fun coming your way. So plan on being with us at 4 o'clock tomorrow for the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.